As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, this episode of Hear That Podcast Grounds presented by Visa Network, working for everyone. Paul Inner Jr. Jay Morrison of The Athletic here working for you. What's going on, Jay? I had pumpkin pie for breakfast this morning. I don't know if that's good <laughs> or sad, what a, but that's my what reality a way to right now. Open. What a way. <laughs> just, just get it right out there. You know, it's like if, if anybody, you go to, your, go to a therapist and you just start with the worst. <laughs> Just, I'm just going to get it right, go right to the point. I ate pumpkin pie for breakfast. Judge me. I did pass I like on it. the Cool Whip. It's too early in the morning for Cool Whip. I like it. I like, I like you just going in on the place. Like when the leftovers, when you're at the end of the leftovers, it's a sad moment. Yes. And, but, and that's why you're, you have to fill that happiness void sometimes with pumpkin pie at 8 a.m. And that's okay. It's either that Embrace or throw it away and you can't throw it away can't throw away a good pumpkin pie no uh excellent admission good start uh <laughs> we've got a lot to get to today of course uh, everybody probably still a little bit feeling their euphoric haze and hopefully shake off any hangovers that you uh ran up celebrating after the Bengals 41 to 10 win over the Steelers on Sunday and uh there, there's some fallout from that but I think there's a bigger discussion that's important to have. And then I did a bunch of research on, and Jay, you've got some of stuff like this in your store, and I have a bigger story on it that uh, is up. And you can you can read on the site now. Um, and it's about kind of, let's, let's say the Bengals have put themselves in position. Are they built to not just make the playoffs, but make a run? What does that mean? What does that look like? And, and the, really kind of gauging the legitimacy of where they're at. And there are some things that are very encouraging for this team making that run. And I think there's a big question mark out there that enough people are people aren't talking enough about. And uh, we're so we're going to get into that. We of course will have Mo Egger on to talk about his tweets, one of which I think he teed up directly for us. And uh, so we'll make sure that that we get to that. And um, we've got some run passer boots. Jay has some stats that aren't necessarily sad. That I think uh, you all will enjoy. And would you say? I say not necessarily sad, right? Not sad at all. They're yeah. they're encouraging. 
encouraging. See, it everybody, even when you've won over Jay's stats, <laughs> you know things are are in a good place right now with your team. Um, so we'll get into that. Run past your boots. Uh, we have a couple of fun things with the growler, but and Jay, you kind of gave yourself homework, and you're going to report to the class homework about uh, that you, which uh, of course you made on via spreadsheet. So that's always very nice to see, and not shocking at all. Uh, let's dive into some news. Um, not a whole lot to report. You know, the big thing coming out of the game on Sunday from a news point was going to be how's Riley Reef doing. Um, he has an ankle injury, as does Chris Evans. I would say the report was inconclusive a little bit on Monday. They're going to kind of wait to see, you know, ankles. It's like, how does it come back? How quickly do you see it start to heal a little bit? So they know a little bit more on Tuesday. Not doesn't sound serious on either guy, but certainly could be limited during practice this week, and we'll see what that means for them potentially playing or not playing on Sunday against the Chargers. Um, Isaiah Prince came in on Sunday and would come in and and play right tackle if Reef cannot go. And Evans, of course, you know they've played without him in the past. He had the hamstring, and and you know they're they're fine without him if that's the case. Trey Hopkins is okay, no worries there. Um, he just didn't go back in because of the nature of the blowout. Um, so he'll be back on Sunday. Thad Moss, who was called up and supposed to make his big debut that everyone was so anticipating. Um, he hurt his hamstring in pregame warmups. That it's that sucks. You're gonna make your Bengals debut finally. You've been waiting all year getting back and in pregame warmups. You have a hamstring injury that apparently is not minor. Uh he will not be back this week, and it could be a matter of weeks and uh until we see Thad Moss back in the mix again. So Mitchell Wilcox returns. Um Zach Taylor gave the team a day off on Monday. Said they they met a standard of success that he set. Uh, before the game uh, against the Steelers. What do you think that standard was, Jay? Yeah, that's a great question because I was wondering about that because I actually I thought maybe he talked about how they challenged the team at halftime to win the third quarter, win the turnover battle or in the third quarter. But I that wasn't it because he did specifically say he gave them that standard before the game. So I don't know if it was fast start, if there was a – I can't imagine it was a, a margin of victory type thing um I, I can't even imagine if it was you know score so many points um i don't know i maybe it was just as simple as dominate don't just win the game dominate um but that maybe he will maybe he will allow that uh if we get a chance to ask him again um it was it was right it was the very last question of the the press conference of, of was it covid related was it was it a reward for the win? And um, that he had already gone long. They'd already given the one more question. And I think Zach said, I'll, I'll do a few more. Um, so we didn't really get a chance to follow up there. So maybe on Wednesday, we'll find out. Yeah, I, I purposely worded the way it was because uh, obviously he didn't want out there exactly whatever reason it was, but gave the players a day off on Monday. And I don't think, you know, this time of year, big win, a Monday off is is okay. Uh, you know, this yeah. isn't. Is this going to cause the same firestorm that letting them go early from uh, mini camp did? Uh, <laughs> when, when, when there was time that needed to be filled and shows their week, right? I mean, that was all <laughs> when we were inventing storylines back then, right? Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. Um, so that's kind of the news. Not a whole lot going on there. Let's let's 
let's dive into the main topic here, Jay. I, I, I'm going to pose this question to you, and we can talk about it generally, and then I can kind of we can dive into some of the specifics of it. Are the Bengals built for postseason success right now? And I think it's a question of legitimacy of who they are, legitimacy of what they maybe have not accomplished yet, and a look at the road ahead of them. What do you? How do you view that? Are the Bengals built for postseason success? Um, I think they are. I, I, you look at this offense. I mean, it, is there maybe the Patriots? But other than them, is there is there a juggernaut juggernaut defense out there that you think that this offense would struggle against? And I don't think there is. Um, and with them just kind of feeling their way and you know it was all about chase being explosive early on and now it's like you take him away we can beat you this way we can win with the run it just it feels and then we we haven't really seen what everyone kind of expected this to be which was joe burrow putting the team on his back and and kind of having that that big huge it type of game and and i still think that's out there um it's Defense, maybe still some questions there, but I don't, I mean, it, it certainly feels like they're on their way to the playoffs and, and I don't see anything that says that they're, they're not built to win in the postseason. I guess you always worry about if it's a wild card instead of a division championship, they go on the road. Um, this franchise hasn't won a playoff game in forever, but that, does that even matter? Because none of these guys, you know, outside of Harris and Huber, we're around for that that run in the early part of this, the last decade as it is now. It just it, it feels like they are with their youth, with their health, with their diversity on offense, and with a defense that maybe isn't great, but is is coming along, is growing. It just I don't I don't see how you could say that they're not built for the postseason. I do think there's certain types of wins that tr- teams that traditionally win in the postseason. And certain types of ways that this happens, and and I do think the Bengals are starting to fit that mold in a lot of ways. It prompted me to go back to something that I like to do in the off season every year, but I also thought this was a really good time to look at it, considering as we start to think about this, you know, think about the direction they might be headed and where they need to be, and maybe what it should look like. I like to look at the conference championship teams the four the final four how are they constituted what did they do well what do you have to do well what are the what are the benchmarks you have to hit at a minimum really in order to make it in today's game so look back the last three years 12 teams to decent sample size i went through points per drive over the course of a season a long haul you take a lot of the you know uh, you know, small sample size stuff out of it. You, you you get a real sense of who who teams are. How about this? Of the twelve teams, every single one ranked in the top quarter of the league, the top eight in points per drive. All twelve on offense, except one, which was the twenty nineteen Titans. But the Titans over the second half of that season. If you remember Derrick Henry and Ryan Tannehill catching fire, uh, were ranked third over just the second half of the season. They they were a late bloomer that came along and started trucking people. That's 
an average of ranking 4.7, okay? And that includes the Chiefs being first in 2018, the Packers being first in 2020. You know, I mean, it's it's the common theme. We know this. This is not a secret. Uh, but the bottom line of it, I think, is startling. Of If you're not there, you aren't advancing. And, or it's going to take something superhuman or some kind of luck. It, this is what moves the needle in January. Now, the Bengals are currently ranked ninth in points per drive on offense, but over the last six weeks, they are third. So they're trending in the right direction. They are one of five teams that rank in the top 10 in both offensive and defensive points per drive. All of these teams have, as you might imagine, very good records. Bills, Cardinals, Patriots, Bengals, Cowboys. Um, all at most have four losses. The Bengals are tied with the Cowboys and the Bills at seven and four. All right, let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Do you need a great defense to advance in the postseason? You don't. You don't. The average points per drive defensively of these teams that all finished in the Final Four, 14.2. Mo all kind of all over the map some in the back not a lot some in the back if you have patrick mahomes you can afford to have the 28th best defense in 2018 with the chiefs but for the most part a lot of them are in the middle of the pack there's not some major correlation like there obviously is on the offensive side of the ball that said the super bowl champions were the bucks in 2020 who had the fifth best offense and the sixth best defense the only team in the top 10 that year what was the biggest reason that they said the bucks rattled patrick mahomes because they got after him all day and chased him in his face 2019 you had the chiefs they had the 13th best defense the niners were the only other team in the top five niners were were one jimmy Garoppolo throw away from beating them uh, that's worth noting. The only team in the top t in the top ten in 2018, the New England Patriots. Well rounded, may not be what gets you to the Final Four, but it appears to be what puts you over the top when you get there. It's about the offense, and to me, that's encouraging because, like you said, Jay, I don't see this offense going anywhere but up. Yeah. I think this offense is going to cross that benchmark. 
And, and that is the most important part when you talk about being built for the postseason. Right, because not only that's not only how you win games now, but it it can mask a, a average defense. I don't think you can win with a bad defense, but you can win with an average defense. And I I think that's what this Bengals defense is. And the the encouraging thing there is they're starting to get the turnovers. That was the thing that they were harping on. They got to do it. They got to do it. First time in the Zach Taylor era, they forced multiple turnovers in back to back games. If they can keep that going. That's gonna that's gonna lower that points per drive average. It it, it it's gonna help them climb in that area. But yeah, it's not defense wins championships. Is you know that that's our dad's era. That's that's not the case anymore. You have you need explosive, yes, but more importantly, the efficient offense. And and they've got it. They they've got it in spades. They they have. Everything that we talked about in the preseason were how are they going to stop them when they got all these weapons. It took a while to to really start clicking, um, but but it, they're here now. And I do. I, I think that that this team is built. It, it may it, the, the one thing is, you know, you worry about injury because they have been so healthy and I, they're not particularly deep. But if, if they stay healthy, it, it just feels like a run is inevitable. Well, I don't know about inevitable, but I but I, I do think I, I, you know I, I like you said before I don't I have no thought that the history of the Bengals and the postseason drought will have any effect of holding over their head. I don't know that I could have said that in the past during that run at the earlier part of last decade, the five straight lo- playoff losses. I think because those guys had experienced it, they felt it. They played tight, right? Yes. I mean, we talked about that last week with the quote from Jesse Bates. That, you know, all they've done is snap streaks this year mm-hmm. and break trends and show that they're different. You know, the theme of the year is this feels different. That's the theme of the year. It has been all year because it has been different. Every week when Jay's got stats about how it's been incredibly long since this or that or this hangs over their head and they have kind of busted them all and proven themselves to be unique to be a Bengals unicorn of sorts just not the type of teams that they've had around here and not had the same pitfalls that you have seen around here and so I, I would have no reason there's nothing about what we have learned about this team to think that the playoff one would be the one that returns. They can lose in the playoffs. Of course they can lose in the playoffs. Mm. Everybody can lose in the playoffs in the first round. It happens all the time. That doesn't mean that the reason they would do it is because it's happened in the past or because of 30 years. I think that would be the absolute last reason that someone would bring up that I would think would actually affect things when you look at kind of the the way this thing is constituted. And and that's I think that's important to to note here. Yeah, it's very important. I mean, new coaching staff, new players, new era, somewhat. I mean, I this new era. The, the NFL is different from what what it was in twenty eleven through twenty fifteen. It's it doesn't seem like that long ago, but this is a new new brand of NFL, and they're 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 built for it. They they that was part of the thing of going and getting a young coach and getting kind of a new philosophy in here. And it's you're, you're seeing it come together, maybe not as fast as some people had hoped. But if you look at it realistically, I, I think right now is is about when you would have expected to, this thing to kind of take off. Dan Pompey had a great story about Zach Taylor and kind of the background of him yeah. now on our site. And um, 
it's incredible. I recommend you read it. It's a really a deep view and sort of his whole path from really the 30,000 point view. But there's a quote in it from Brian Callahan uh, that was, we thought it would be hard. We didn't think it would be that hard <laughs> coming in here and turning the whole thing around. But And so it has taken longer than they thought it would. But that said, you know, you're here now. I, I mean, I would point out when you look at these conference championship uh, teams and teams that played in the Super Bowl, the Bucks win the Super Bowl. Laughing stock forever. No fans, right? Brady comes, new culture, new era. Everything changes. They're they're the Bucks now, right? And, and the Rams, the same thing. Big reason why Zach Taylor's here. Before McVay, before New Era, before you know, they were a joke, a laughing stock. No fans, no city. You know, all of those things. 49ers playing the Super Bowl. I mean, they had two straight seasons of awfulness and they end up working their way to the Super Bowl. They were, they, they were laughing stuff forever, you know, and, and they find their way back. It, this happens every single year. It, it has very little to do with anything. I would say this, Jay, you've got some stats because I, I think we can talk about the offensive direction and, and I, I think that they will, I think there's a good chance they rank in the top five in points per drive offensively mm-hmm. by the time this thing's said and done. Um, you know, the last six weeks, like I said, they're third. Uh, here's the last six weeks points per drive on offense. Patriots are first at th- over three, three point. Patriots are just a, a, a train right now. Um, they're six and oh, in that. Uh, Colts 2.81, Bengals 2.7, and third. Bucks are fourth. Chargers are fifth. Niners, Eagles, Bills. Those are the teams that are hot right now. Although the Chargers have cooled the last couple of weeks yeah. as they have offensive line issues popping up. But, you know, that's kind of where that stands. I mean, that's that's the company you want to be in, and and they seem to be trending in the right direction. So I, I would be willing to bet they end up in the top five there. And if you do, you got a real shot to to make waves in a wide-open AFC. To me, the question is on defense. Jay, Jay, do you got some stats for me on, you know – some some point differential stuff and, and to kind of really get put into perspective the the, the totality of where they're at. Yeah, I kind of did. I didn't go with just the the a the championship game teams, but I looked. I, I did a dive on point differential, kind of the way you did on points per drive. Because right now the Bengals are plus eighty three. That's fifth best in the league. And I was I was wondering, you know, what is there their history there what is overall history there and teams since 1990 when you look at the the current playoff format minus not really the current adding the team (laughs) yeah you add the team from last year but the current division alignment and all that or not even division that was 2002 but when they expanded to to six teams and now it's seven teams that had a point differential of plus 83 or more there were 211 of them in this span, and 200 of them made the playoffs. That's that's 94.8% chance of making the playoffs if you have a point differential of at least 83 points, which is where the Bengals are right now. And you figure they're going to have to win more games to get in the playoffs. And if they do, that it, it just feels like – I know we saw what happened with Cleveland a couple weeks ago. It's not that I don't think they they're gonna they're obviously gonna lose a game or two or three even um, during this stretch, but it, it doesn't feel like they're gonna get trucked like they did in that game. That that that, that point differential is either gonna stay the same or go up a little bit. So that that puts them in a great position. 
And one of the most surprising things, this really has nothing to do with the Bengals, but I was looking at the, the biggest point differentials in that time span. And this, this floored me. What do you think the record is for largest point differential since 1990? That's a good question. I mean, I know the Bengals uh, over that, I suppose 150 was their highest. So I'll, I'll say something over in the, was there like a one one eighty? 190, 200, 196. The 2007 New England Patriots outscored their opponents by 315 points. <laughs> that is unreal. It's a good club. Uh, and then obviously the greatest show on turf, the Rams in 99, 284. So there, there have been some, some high ones, but yeah, it's, it, 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 it kind of go points per drive in, in point differential. It kind of takes that the era maybe even point differential more so takes the era out of things it it, it comes down mm-hmm. to it are you beating teams soundly and when you're losing games are, are are they close and um i just think that's a really encouraging stat right now that they're at plus 83 fifth best in the league and um i would i would place a small wager on the fact that 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 differential is going to go up by the time the season ends uh, most wins by at least 19 points this season. Bengals have four. The Bills and Patriots have done it five times. Uh, Bengals and Bucks have done it four. Cardinals and Cowboys have done it three. That's the most. I mean, t- teams that have the ability to just throttle people. The Bengals, by the way, have done it in each of their last four wins. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you're talking about a team that has taken off in that respect. Each of the last four wins have all been by at least 19 points. They have scored 30 or more points in five of their last six games after failing to do so for the first five games of the year. Franchise history, most games with 30-plus points, 30 or more points. Uh, 1981, the record, they had eight. In 2015 and 1986, was seven. In 2005, 1988, 2013, we're talking about some teams that live in Bengals lore here. Mm-hmm. That's six. Considering the current pace that they've done it in five of the last six, and they got six games left, I would say uh, all of those are in jeopardy, including the 1981 record. And you know, you're talking about both Super Bowl teams and the two clear, I think, clear three best teams uh, of this century of 05, 13, and 15. I would argue, and the '86 team was unbelievable in terms of offense. People don't really remember that one enough, like they should. I mean, that's. That's the company. That's that's the company they're in when when you talk about uh, now. There's era stuff here, but I mean, those those are teams that have gone on to win. Some of them didn't, but uh, have gone on to to go all the way to the Super Bowl. Even I think the 13 team is the great comp because they started rougher than than this year's team. But the, the way that team took off in the second half of the year. And just really steamrolled into the playoffs and then kind of spit the bit against the Chargers in the playoffs. But that that's what this team feels like. A, a team that really hits its stride at the midpoint and and takes off over the second half of the season and, and goes into the postseason with a with a big head of steam. But will it though? Yeah. yeah well, that's really where the question starts now. Because I, I think, you know, we can we can talk about the schedule all day and who's good and who's not. And there's a lot of teams that are the same. You're seeing some teams starting to emerge. Pittsburgh is not good. We can admit to that. (laughs) I don't really, you know, Vegas, 
uh, you know, their win against Dallas was 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 a nice bounce back. But we don't, you know, what do we really know about that? That's all fine. I, I know this. We have not really seen this defense tested a ton this year. We've seen it a few times, but not really. If you go by DVOA, and this is not including the update Tuesday for offensive DVOA, the Bengals opponents. The best offensive DVOA you'll find the teams they've played was obviously Green Bay, their biggest test offensively with five. And we saw Devontae Adams put up a massive day. We saw Aaron Jones have a huge day. Um, they nearly won the game, and they stopped him in the red zone a bunch, but we saw this defense exposed certainly against some elite performers. Um, Minnesota uh, it was is ninth, and we saw Kirk Cousins kind of start tearing the secondary up a little bit when he had a chance to. Uh, Cleveland is 12th. We know what they put up a 41 spot on them. So those are the three teams that, you know, DVOA would say, okay, here's your here's your best offenses you've played. The rest are all middle back Pittsburghs of the world, Jacksonville's of the world, Chicago, Detroit. I mean, Baltimore's kind of middle back. Um, that, that's who they've been. Here's the rest of the schedule. Chargers are third. San Francisco is fourth. Denver 15th, Baltimore 14th, KC 6th, Cleveland 12th. Here you go. Is 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 the defense you know, we, we talked to Luan Rumi yesterday. He talked about, "Oh, well, we have got 11 game sample size here. I think you know kind of who you are." I contend we do not. I don't think they have really been tested specifically outside of really Aaron Rodgers and I guess you make an argument for Kirk Cousins by the best quarterbacks in this league the best best run offenses in this league. Here comes Herbert, here comes Kyle Shanahan, here comes Mahomes. That's where you learn uh how good this defense is really going to be and if they will truly be able to become that well truly well-rounded team. Again, like I said earlier, you don't need to be that to necessarily advance in the playoffs. They don't need to be great, but they need to not be uh, a, a a liability. To this point they haven't been. They've had blue the blip but I think we're about to learn a lot, particularly over these next two weeks. Yeah, and I mean, you look at Cleveland, they they haven't topped 20 in what, like five of six or four or five games. The only time they did was against the Bengals, and they they put up, they will go over 40. Um, it is interesting to note that the Bengals are sixth in points allowed. That's impressive. Now, you're right, they have not played any of these juggernaut teams. and And again, it's, how much of the onus in beating a Kansas City and beating a San Francisco is going to come down to the defense shutting those teams down versus the offense being able to just outscore them? I think they could. The the latter is the more likely, but it's this is uncharted territory almost for the being sixth in points allowed. It just doesn't happen. They only three times in franchise history have they finished in the top five in points allowed. And that was 2015. Everybody remembers 2015 as this great offensive team. They were second in points allowed in 2015. And then the 2013 team you referenced, they were fifth in points allowed. And then you got to go all the way back to 1972. They were fifth in points allowed that year. So I, I do think it's significant that, yes, they haven't faced a great, really great offense outside of Green Bay. But even Green Bay, they held to 22. So the fact that they're sitting there at sixth, through 11 games, I think does give you some hope. And it it just kind of the 
the Eli Apple effect. He he had he was brutal early in the year, and now he's got picks in back to back games. Um, you, you can kind of see some cohesion coming together as long as Trey Hendrickson and, and Sam Hubbard can keep after the 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 quarterback. If if this offense can start fast like they did against the Steelers and and, and kind of give the defense that ability to to be more aggressive and go after turn up the pass rush. I, I could see him sticking in this. Maybe they don't get to top five, but if they if they can st- stick in top ten and points allowed, I think they're in great shape. All right, let's just take a quick break. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, Everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Run, pass, or boot. Uh, Bengals defense ends up in the top five, in six to ten, in 11 or more. This is in points allowed. Points allowed. Um, I'm going to boot 11 or more because the sample, I mean, you've got a, a two to one sample size already. It would take a complete meltdown to really drop a lot at this point. Um, likewise, it's hard to climb, although they only need to climb one spot to get to top five. But I would run with six to 10, pass on one to five and boot 11 or higher. Yeah, the the drop. I, I would run. I w- I would run with six to ten, and I will pass on eleven or more. I, I think there's a chance we see some big scores down the stretch. Be- it, now, I do think that the offense changing the dynamic of the way it plays is much more complementary to helping the defense. And I think there was a recognition of that with what happened against the Jets in Cleveland, and that style will specifically come into play against the Chargers, who are absolutely dreadful against the run. Worst in the league. Worst in the league. Just get crushed in terms of efficiency, in terms of percentage of successful runs allowed, in terms of long runs. I mean, you name it. The Chargers are just awful against the run. So they can't, like, turn it on the tape what the Bengals have been the last two weeks. (laughs) Uh, If you're the Chargers, and I think the game plan, uh, you and I could draw this one up. A little bit this week, but and that helps offset things. But you know, we also know what you know. You're seeing a real quarterback now, but then you know, and 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 how does that really look against this secondary? I think I just think it's going to be really unique to see how how this does play out for this defense, and and, and the test is really here for them. They, there's credit for what they've done to this point, and you, you, to be a good defense, you have to punish some of the bad teams. You have to have a bunch of games where you hold them to 14 or less when they're not very good offensively. You have to do that. But what do they look like against the best quarterbacks? Because that's what's going to determine are you built to win in the postseason because that's what you face in the postseason. A lot to learn as we go down the stretch. Yeah, interesting too. I don't know if people uh, caught it, but uh, not this week. Chargers, the following week, 49ers, uh, Debo Samuel expected to miss a week or two if he is not in for that San Francisco game. That changes that offense immensely. Um, so it, it, again, it's just one of those, it, it's when you get them. And, and, you know, we, 
you know, for a while there, it was looking like the Chiefs might be an easier game, and all of a sudden they've got it turned on. Um, it, it it feels like this is yes, I think they will have some high scoring games down the stretch, but it does feel like the sample size we've seen it, it's sustainable that they can kind of hang in this range. Now there's no there's really no donkeys on the on the schedule after this, but it it feels like they can you know keep teams in that 20 to 24 range um outside of maybe a game or two where a Patrick Mahomes or somebody goes off no doubt um and that's okay like yeah <laughs> you, it's it's a tough league I, I no one's expecting them you know to finish 13 and 4 i mean if they do look out that, that that no one's expecting that i don't expect that um i think that's that's a wild thought if anybody's you know you're gonna lose a couple more that's fine and that should be enough to get you to the playoffs to me it's about the north i mean to me it's about december 26th yeah it, it's about keeping pace with baltimore at this point as the you know after what happened on sunday night we see the division separate itself the steelers and the brown i told you i thought the browns were one loss from the spiral and I mean, and now we've got, what was it? Kareem Hunt's dad has posted something <laughs> on social. I mean, th- there is there is more interaction with parents on the Cleveland Browns than there are junior high volleyball teams. I, I've, I've never seen anything like it. I mean, it's just, clearly it is a reaction to all kinds of division going on in Cleveland. And it's a mess and the quarterback's a mess. And that feels spirally. And obviously the Steelers feel spirally. It's about watching the Ravens every week at this point and staying within one and lining up on December 26th at Paul Brown Stadium and going on and winning. And and I think that is what can really change how you feel about the postseason and the path you'd be on there. You said you don't think they'll go 13-4, and four, and I don't either. What, how, what kind of chance? Because if they beat the Ravens, they, they are – definitely positioned to win the division what kind of chance do you give them of getting the number one seed the patriots look like it right now i mean the way that they're going and i don't see much let up and they've got a nice little schedule you know i I don't i I think the patriots are going to end up the number one seed i think it's going to go through foxborough like the good old days um I think you just – and at that point, just having a home game in the first round is what you're kind of banging for. And so, you know, I, it, sure, I mean, that would be a nice thought for anybody, and it's what you strive for. But I, I don't I don't know that that should be what you're thinking about. You should be thinking about winning this division and having a home game against a Buffalo, right, mm-hmm. or whoever, or Baltimore again maybe. You'd, you'd love that, um, if, especially if you had already beaten them twice. I just, you know, I, I think that's where the focus should be right now. And, and every week, the scoreboard should be looking at what Baltimore does and trying to keep pace and going and winning that game the day after Christmas. Boxing Day. <laughs> um, I, wa- I want to touch on one other thing that's a big factor. And just because I've talked about it for a couple of weeks, and I finally went out, I gave myself homework, and I finally did it, Jay. What's that? I finally did it. I went back and looked at the previous four years of how many of the week one projected starting lineup played every game Mm. over the course of the first 11. 
And so thank God I have all the old media guides. Got to <laughs> finally make use of the bookshelf behind me that is supposed to just be to get me a good look on Room Raider. Uh, but I, I actually made use of all the media guides. And here's what I came up with. And now this is give or take on these because there's like an injury that you forget about that happened and the guy never showed up on the whole thing or there's starting issues with like a guy didn't start. I tried to keep, go back with as many as I could to find guys that actually played, even if they didn't necessarily start in one game, but they were starters most of the year. This is general. The good news is you only need general to get the point here. Mm. Uh, in 2021, of course, uh, to this point, 17 of 22, uh, of the projected Bengals starters have played every game. It's an unheard of number. It's, it's crazy. Um, they've all trotted them all out there every week and nine of 11 on offense. Uh, last year, five of 22. Just through 11, not the whole year through 11. Yeah. Just through 11 games. Yeah. It got worse, obviously. Um, 2019, seven of 22. 2018, 9 of 22. 2017, 9 of 22. I believe on offense last year, there was one. <laughs> now, so, partially some of it was guys getting benched, but I mean, at what point are we, mm. does that even matter? You know, and it's part of the problem, but you're, you know, that's the difference of where they're at. You talk about well positioned, you talk about in a, in a spot. No, no other teams are saying stuff like that. Right now, yeah. I mean, we talk about Ravens, catch the Ravens, right? I mean, their IR is just a list of their best players, essentially. Uh, and Lamar Jackson has been in and out and dealt with stuff all year, and they've got pieces all over the place that are killing them for not being in there, you know. So, again, that's part of this, too. Another interesting one I thought it was a great tweet from Bill Barnwell yesterday as Christian McCaffrey ended up going out for the year officially. Yeah. He looked at all those big running back contracts that came down the uh the pike. And you know, you they were all at least twelve million per year. Christian McCaffrey, he's done for the year. Derek Henry, he's out indefinitely. Dalvin Cook, he's out indefinitely. Alvin Kamara out injured. He's been in and out of the lineup. Ezekiel Elliott's out here playing through injury. They're talking about limiting his role. Aaron Jones just got back. He was out a couple of weeks. He's been hurt. Nick Chubb has played well, but he's missed games. Joe Mixon. <laughs> That's the list. The Bengals have, you know, we the the pitfall of the big running back contract that I, I still don't know that was the right move. I'll I'm not gonna I'm gonna die on this hill, Jay. But I mean I still I you know, that's a lot of money to give to a running back. That said. It's because these guys get hurt more often as the pounding piles up. Joe has had this unbelievable ability to get a ton of reps, a ton of carries, a ton of touches this year, even had the injury last year. That's where they felt it a little bit more. Um, and, and hang in there and be good and stay healthy. That goes a long way, too, when you talk about where the, the direction that this team is going. There was an oh no moment in that game against Pittsburgh. I don't know how many people noticed it. It was it was the play where Burrow threw it to Higgins and it looked like a touchdown and it got reviewed. Mixon was out to the right. I don't know what happened. I I need to go back and watch it. He got upended. He was head over heels or heels over head, however you want to say it, and he got up slow and it was like, "Oh, he's coming out." And it took so long for them 
to review that play, he kind of limped and walked real slow and went and got back in the huddle and he scored on the next play. It 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 looked bad. It was just it was one of those things where you, you're right. It, you see what's happening to all these running backs around the league, and you saw how that this offense went south last year after Mixon went out, and he really is the key to this whole thing. If if anything, I mean, you had your your war list early in the year. It, it would be interesting to see an updated version of that at this point because man, it's Burrow at the top, and then it's Mixon after that. He has been such a weapon and. Um, that, that was, it was one of those where you just kind of hold your breath and, and see if he's going to get up and be all right. I mean, he, he has a rare ability to really make this wide zone cook and his mm. connection with Frank Pollock and the way he coaches and all that stuff. I mean, it's sort of a, we're all dropping the flowers at Frank Pollock right now, rightfully so, as you've seen his running game come together. But, um, I'd be curious what a game with Samaj AP Ryan looked like and how much of it is, is the yeah. line. You know, I mean, I do think there's a mesh of styles that's important with Mixon here, but I, I would just be curious to see how much you, you got to credit this line has been. You know, they're figuring it out. They're they're making lanes. They're 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 pancaking people. I mean, they're 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 doing it. And uh, you know, I I don't think anybody wants to see Joe Mixon miss games if you're a Bengals coach. Um, but I, I'd be curious to see how much you know you kind of get a better gauge of. Of uh, everybody deserves some of the credit, but uh, how much of it is is Mixon also helping make things happen? There's some of that, yeah. obviously. He give you more, but um, you know, I I think you got to make sure you're giving your tipping your cap to the line as well. Uh, speaking of time to do that, let's tip our cap and uh, bring in our good friend Mo Egger. Uh, it's time to talk about some tweets. What's going on, oh, fellas? How we doing? Doing good. It's time good. to talk about your tweets. Oh boy. I I have a few here. One that you obviously just did so that we would talk about it on the show. <laughs> I'm positive. Like, it's just so blatant. And really? It feel it, feel, it it felt it felt it felt personal and uh and I'm excited about it. We will get to that in a okay. bit. Okay. First yeah. of all, Jay, do you have most stats for the week? I do. I I thought we were. I, I go backwards. I look at the top of his feed, and then I count backwards. And and I thought for sure this was going to be a career high because he was just he was on fire this weekend. <laughs> um, but I think the the holiday, the Thanksgiving holiday, and the day uh-huh. the travel time, it, it kind of slowed down in midweek last week. So he ended up with one sixteen, but uh, mm. may may not have been his highest quantity. But I would argue his highest quality week <laughs> of tweeting. Highest quality it's, week of tweeting. It's debatable. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I love that Jay. You have to go through most feed every single week. And read all I could make it up, but <laughs> no. Yeah, no one's I, checking. You're taking no it in. You're judging your as you yeah. go along. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's everything I hoped it would be. Uh, I have I have a couple that I have chosen to start with. One actually is not the normal four twenty nine on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, you, you were you were actually not in your seats. You were actually we 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 got to see you in in the press box on Sunday. Yeah, that I had was, a collared nice. shirt on and everything. You you did really <laughs> dressed it up. <laughs> really did. Uh, now, it, so this one actually it basically was a promo for your show, but I didn't listen, and so I'm actually really curious to hear mm-hmm. what it ended up being. And it was uh, at 11:27 a.m. on Monday. I don't have many favorite Bengal Steelers moments, but I do have a new one that tops a short list of them. Mm-hmm. Excellent tease yeah. by you. 
because yeah. I'm very intrigued as to what exactly that moment was. 154 left in the first half on Sunday. Mike Tomlin trailing by 21 points, facing a fourth and one, holding three timeouts, quit. For the head coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers, this was like the kid who steals your lunch money uh, suddenly giving you his lunch money and letting you cut in and letting you cut in line. I mean, th- this was the big, bad, tough, bully, intimidating Steelers who pushed them around. This was the head coach conceding defeat. Uh, tw- it's 24 to three. You are not stopping the Bengals offensively. You need points and you need to ensure that you do not give up the football. You have a hall of fame quarterback. You have this massive history of the Bengals melting down against you. It's fourth and one at the 34. It's not fourth and nine. It's not fourth and one at your own two. You have to go for it there. And beyond the mechanics of it, to me, there was just something, I don't know, symbolic about here is this team that has been their tormentor, the Bengals tormentor my entire life. And they laid down. They conceded. You don't expect Mike Tomlin to concede. You don't expect the Pittsburgh Steelers to concede. And I know subsequently Joe Burrow threw a pick and you kind of felt like, okay, now the door is open. And then Mike Hilton slammed that door with the pick six. But that to me was not something you expect in a Bengal Steelers game. That is my new favorite Bengal Steelers moment where the head coach of that team who typically embodies what that franchise is supposed to be all about toughness and we're not going to be pushed around. We're going to bully you. You're not going to bully us. Instead, uh, the bully went home. And as a Bengals fan, it was just the cherry on the Sunday. And the Sunday included all sorts of awesomeness as well from, you know, everything we saw from the team offensively to just really the dominant performance to Ben Roethlisberger mopping up his own mess at the end of the game. But that moment for me felt in real time, like Mike Tomlin and his team laid down and waved the white flag. And it was awesome. Mike Tomlin clearly does not read the athletic because Bengals <laughs> Steelers is the genesis of the Morrison minutes that the Steelers had scored in the final two minutes of the first half in 25 of the last 30 games against the right. Bengals. It was there for they do it all the time. It was that, that that was a really take that history out, take the score out. I mean, it, it just everybody goes for it on fourth and one anymore. It seems like that it was it, it did feel like a, a waving of the white flag. And this was the coach who, you know, remember a couple of years ago, he was the guy who was like going to go for two every single time. Like mm-hmm. Mike Tomlin, they were going to try to go up eight, nothing. And if it didn't work, they were going to do it again. And he was sort of a little progressive in that regard. And I mean, even if you don't score points, you can't give the ball back to that offense the way you're getting just shredded by them, by Joe Mixon, by Joe Burrow. And I know they were going to get the football to start the second half. But if, if, if I'm a Steelers fan, that would have enraged me um, be, because it, it just it. It's one thing if you're down seven. It's one thing if you're upset. I mean, just th- there was there was no logical reason to not go for it. But emotionally, as a Bengals fan, th- that was a coach acknowledging we're done. We can't. We're not going to win the game. We're finished. We're 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 cooked. Uh, no matter what might happen at the the beginning of the second half. No matter what might happen over the final minute fifty, whatever it is, we're done. Um, and it was it was so sweet. But but yeah, I mean I. I I don't understand why any coach in that situation, any coach of any team in that situation, it's 24 to three and you are helpless against their offense. Why would you willingly give the ball back to that offense? Why, why, why on earth would you do that? That makes, it makes zero football sense, but emotionally as a Bengals fan, it was beyond terrific. 
you mentioned, you know, a Steelers being a Steelers fan. I think Bengals fans can commiserate with way Steelers probably fans probably feel right now and have felt really for a year and a half where you can see the train coming. You can see the end and and then you got hit by it really mm-hmm. on Sunday. I know our our colleague Mark Caboli was on the podcast last week tweeted, you know, I can't remember in 30 years the Steelers being beat down by this by anyone. And there's a there's a sense of the inevitability of what we all saw coming. I mean, Mo, I remember you and I talking at during the end of last season about how these, there would be an absolute undeniable bet be placed on the Bengals to be finishing ahead of the Steelers this year. Like they just, mm-hmm. you could see it and you could see the direction it was going to go and that it did go over the course of the offseason. And, and they found a way to sort of smoke and mirrors their way to 500 here. But they, they kind of have been exposed when they've played good teams, specifically the Bengals, for kind of who they are and where do they go from here? You know what I mean? And yeah. we, we've really given them the credit because that Mike Tomlin has earned the benefit of that doubt to eventually find some way to pull miracles out of the scrap heap. There's just this, the heap is too scrappy. There's just yeah. no, there's no way to, of denying that this is a team that I don't know when the Steelers are going to be back in the mix again. And all seasons can change things, but they just seem destined to be trying to figure something out here for a year or two. And they're, they have, one of the weirdest and frankly most interesting quarterback situations in the league because how how do you keep running Ben Roethlisberger out there? I mean, you might this season because you have just no better options, but I mean, is that really going to be a thing all offseason? Is Ben going to come back? What are we going to do? I mean, I, I just I, I can't imagine if we're trying to turn the page to whatever is next, you going, all right, we're going to move forward with Ben. At the same time, the heir apparent is clearly not on the roster. It's not a great quarterback draft class. They're not going to be drafting in the top five. Um, the list of free agent quarterbacks includes the usual suspects. We joked on the air yesterday about Andy Dalton being the bridge guy to the Pittsburgh Steelers, which that might actually be my favorite all-time Steelers <laughs> moment if, if I have to watch the press conference of them introducing Andy. Um, and, you know, people lose their minds over, well, they could trade for Aaron Rodgers or maybe they could trade for Russell Wilson. And maybe those things happen. But where they stand right now is really weird and really interesting. And you wonder where they go, Be- because clearly it wasn't just, you know, it's easy to talk about the fourth and one. And it's, it's easy to talk about Ben. The Bengals were the better, younger, faster team, more energetic team. Um, I'm not sure they pushed him around necessarily, although Joe Mixon certainly would would counter otherwise. But. Yeah, I mean, if I'm if I'm a Pittsburgh fan, that was a very sobering portrait of where we are and what the future may hold. And it occurred against a team that you're going to have to figure out a way to now catch because the Cincinnati Bengals are better and they're in front of and they've got the most important part in place in Joe Burrow and the Pittsburgh Steelers do not. They face nothing but uncertainty there. And so, yeah, I, I think they're really emotion aside as a Bengals fan, they're they're really one of the more interesting teams in the league because there is that Steelers brand. There is the, the track record the organization has where they're never terrible. Mike Tomlin hasn't yet had a a losing season. I think that's going to change this year. And so there are some things you defer to, but the current roster, the current snapshot of, of that franchise from their standpoint is, is not good. It's not encouraging at all. I, I thought the one of you, you talked about being weird and interesting. I thought one of the most weird things was them leaving Ben in till the very end of the game. I would love to give truth serum. I mean, what was Tomlin thinking? What was Ben's reaction to that? It was almost like he, he, he was 
you know, he, I don't know if he's afraid to put in the backup or if he was waiting, it was a punishment because Ben didn't play well. It just, it seemed really weird that they rode him all the way to the end of that game. You know who's strange. responsible for that, yeah. Jay? You know who's responsible for that? Who? Tyler Boyd. That is, that is a direct response to Tyler Boyd's comments about how they quit in the first game. And it was, we're not going to quit. We're not going to be that team. Tyler Boyd was right, is what Mike Tomlin said, by keeping hmm. Ben Roethlisberger in there, that we did quit last time. And I'm not going to be responsible for quitting this time, even though I quit at the end of the second But I quarter. thought, again, getting back to the fourth and one, I thought that's where Mike Tomlin quit. Right. I mean, again, that, that was... It, it was a concession. It was 24 to three. And, and again, you know, not a fluky 24 to three where, okay, well, they got a weird touchdown here and we can get ourselves back into the game. If, if I would have said to you in that moment, if the Bengals get the ball back, the Steelers are still going to win the game. You would have said you were out of your mind. I meant to go back and look up, you know, the, the win probability thing they show on ESPN. It had to be at close to 97, 98, maybe 99% at that point. And you're going to give them the ball. That is, that is, the proverbial white flag being waved. Um, so he did quit there. I mean, <laughs> just with more than a half of the game to go, but then the, the Roethlisberger thing, that was strange. And I thought once he threw the touchdown, I'm like, all right, he threw a TD. It's called it a day. And then they got the ball back at the end of the game. And it, there he was. <laughs> there he was. And that's like literally looking taking at the Pittsburgh. And a game where he was at one point doubled over after taking the shot <laughs> to the wrist. I mean, it's just like, it, 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 you're right. Almost felt like a punishment. But I, I have. I have to make sure we get to. I want to make sure we get to this. Mo, I've got. I've got one. For, I do want to point out uh, the direction that Bengals Steelers feels like it's going is when they did win six in a row. We referenced last week with the last time they won three in a row against the Steelers was way back in December 1990. Well, they, that was the end of a run of six where Bubby Brister was the quarterback uh, for the Steelers <laughs> during the course of that. Who will be the next Bubby Brister? Could be the question of what. One thing uh, we could do with there. this particular segment, by the way, is I could bring up tweets that I didn't send because I had it ready to go and I just I felt like it was unfair because it took Marvin Lewis six years to get his third win against Mike Tomlin um, and it took Zach Taylor three and he's won three straight and I had a tweet sort of teed up and I'm like look in this moment of triumph this should be more about what the team did let's not drag Marvin into the discussion so instead, I tweeted last night that Notre Dame should hire him. <laughs> but, Did you know this is the perfect segue, Mo? Yep. Okay. Did you ahead. realize that's where I was going with this? No, I had no idea. Because I'm glad that you said, oh, I didn't want to bring Marvin Lewis into the discussion because sure enough, at 8.36 p.m. on 11.29, Notre Dame head football coach Marvin Lewis, let's go. I really, really appreciated that. It felt it felt teed up for us. It was like you're you're gonna bring Marvin into it. We're gonna you're gonna talk about the Notre Dame thing. I just it felt it felt sort of teed up. So it was a sly reference to when the Bengals had a head coaching vacancy, uh, or we when when we knew the Bengals were gonna have a head coaching vacancy. You there was like this stretch of time where we would spend twenty four hours with whatever candidate somebody threw into the mix. And so I don't honestly don't remember if it was James Rapine, our buddy, or if it was Lance McAllister, or it may have been me that did the, what would Brian Kelly coach the Bengals, blah, 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 which was never <laughs> realistic. And by the way, it's actually turned out to be true because he's going to coach the Bayou Bengals. But <laughs> so it was sort of a reference to that period of time where I remember, I remember like talking about it. And then driving home one night and my guy Lance is doing like my entire drive. I was going somewhere because I listened to him for more than the normal, you know, 25 minutes. 
And it was like a long extended thing on Brian Kelly coaching the Bengals. And those things happen in every city in the country where it's like, all right, we have to talk about this. How do we keep the conversation moving? Let's introduce somebody who moves the meter. Brian Kelly to this day, obviously in Cincinnati still moves the meter. So it made all the sense in the world from a talk radio standpoint, but it was never going to happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's never going to uh, <laughs> never going to be a press conference where there's Mike Brown and Duke Tobin and Brian Kelly. Oh. So I did it as sort of a sort of sly reference to that. Like, all right, well now that Brian Kelly's old job is open, let's, let's bring Marvin Lewis into the discussion. And it's, it's always just fun to just bring up Marvin Lewis occasionally. So that's, is. that's kind of why I did it. It is. Uh, I all this was this was a, a close second uh, to your wondering how many questions there's going to be at Luke Fickle's press conference on Tuesday about Clayton Toon. <laughs> so, Paul, do you remember the the Butch Jones the the press conference for the Belk Bowl? So, if, oh. for, for those who don't remember the timeline in 2012, um, UC plays their last game. I think against UConn and don't hold me to that, but they play the last game of the 2012 season. And then it's Butch Jones is going to go to Purdue. Eh, no, well, he's going to go to Colorado. Eh, no, well, he's going to stay. Eh, okay. Well, actually he's going to go to Tennessee. So in the middle of all this, UC gets invited to play Duke in the belt bowl. And so there's a press conference on a Monday or Tuesday for it's his normal media availability. So I'm guessing it was a Tuesday and he's there to talk about the belt bowl. And there's like a belt bowl guy there in his belt bowl blazer and it's to talk about the belt bowl well so we, we all show up and then you know you can always tell and i'm i'm guessing there might be some of this today i i luke fickles thing i don't know but like and you guys know this very well when the non-sports tv people show up mm-hmm. that's to ask the questions that they don't want the sports people to ask so he's just taking question after question about the tennessee and do you like it here and will you stay and all this stuff and then finally Tim Adams, who had a Bearcats website, just pipes in and goes, what do you know about Duke? Uh, Just to sort of get us back on track to talk about the opponent. So, um, yeah, I would imagine, you know, the big question today will be about stopping Clayton tune. And also UC's kicking situation is very fluid. That's what's at the top of my mind right now. (laughs) Like who's going to kick uh, field goals and PATs against Houston. I'm sure everybody's going to be wondering uh, this afternoon. Around the Bengals locker room, we used to call that the, uh, it was the John London factor. Channel 5. Yeah. <laughs> if you were Bengals PR, you never wanted to get a call and say, can you guys approve a, a, a pass for John London today? <laughs> right. That meant you have much more work to do than just hitting print was, on that Who pass. was the person that brought up uh, Mildred, the customer at, oh. uh, at uh, an unnamed Chili restaurant? Betty Lou from the Newport Betty Skyline. Lou. Betty <laughs> That's correct. That yeah. was uh, that was the Marvin Returns press conference. I thought the- for sure when you referenced that I was sort of uh, referencing you guys, it was going to be my poll question that I sent during the game because you couldn't you had to use one of two words to describe the Bengals offense in the first half. It was either clinical or surgical. And so I let the people decide. And it was 50 50. The voting was. <laughs> I mean, it was either surgical, surgical precision or clinical performance by the Bengals offensively. And I thought you would take that as aimed at you guys. And it wasn't. It was just aimed at the words we use to describe a team when it's really good on offense. And the Bengals obviously were. I think surgical. Yeah. Clinical sounds boring. Agree. Agree. Clinical sounds really boring. Surgical. mm. Precise. 
precise. Well, I, I appreciated you dr- bringing Marvin Lewis into it, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, that was that was fun. I'd also like to, you know, I I, I feel like. I want to make sure equal opportunity here when I mentioned the John London factor. Also, Jeff Hirsch, big factor when he would show up in, in the really? Bengals locker room. Yeah, but Jeff Jeff Hirsch would, would drop in, and there would always be there would always so, be something that you weren't happy about. Here's in the talk radio game, here's what you get sometimes. Like if there's a big story happening, you'll get a call from somebody in TV news, and they will want to come down and get caller reaction. And we've all seen these live shots where they show – the video shot of like the control board and the meter, yeah, the meter, the, the meter perking up, get yeah. The meter, right. <laughs> I kid not. There were one many, many years ago where they used stock footage because I could tell because it was from our board in our old building, and I'm like, that's not even from today. It wasn't my show. Like, that's not even from today. So they'll come down, and then you're like, you have to tell them like, well, uh, nobody might call today. I mean, I, or I really wasn't <laughs> going to talk about that, and so we'll just, I will say like, uh. Liz bonus is coming down. Can you call in to talk about uh, why the red should fire the manager? Cause they need this. And I mean, we did this with college game day a couple of weeks ago yeah. because they wanted, they yeah. wanted fans angry at UC being ranked six. And I said, all right, in the five o'clock hour, can you call me and be angry about UC being ranked six and our audience, you know, rose to the occasion and it was great. But then what you'll get sometimes, and I don't envy these folks and they're just doing their job, but you'll get the non-sports person who will say to you, I don't know anything about sports. And then so you have to tell them the questions to pose to you that you'll answer to them as they're getting the the, the feed of the, the callers calling in that you have sort of given to them because you've told the callers somebody from one of the local TV stations is is coming down. I did a a. Uh, I tried to bribe the Big 12 to invite UC. So I got, I don't know, I did the social media thing. And uh, Anjanette Levy met me and interviewed me about it. And she's terrific and very, very nice and and a very good crime and courts reporter. But she just said to me, she's like, I don't really follow sports that closely. So I like jotted down on a napkin. I'm like, well, ask me this, this, this and this will be will be fine. And it was great. She did it verbatim. It was terrific. Uh, Well, I got to say this. I'm uh, I don't think you have a a problem getting callers on your in for Lance tonight on 700. Yeah. Which which will have all sorts of stuff happening because the latest rankings come out. Right. right? And then, you know, maybe there'll be some news on the Notre Dame front. But yes. uh, Yeah. Plenty of callers into talk radio this week uh, in Cincinnati. Because it it combines. I mean, think of it. It combines every element. Right. Brian Kelly. This isn't like a coach at another school leaves that nobody cares about. It's Brian Kelly. And he leaves Notre Dame, who you see just beat, who is a, I think, a fringe college football playoff contender. Notre Dame needs a lot of stuff to happen. And then there's UC enjoying this magical season. The game is on Saturday. It feels like deja vu. It's some of the same familiar characters with some new characters thrown in. Even more hurt feelings about what Luke might do, what UC might do, what the committee might do, what Brian Kelly just did. It is perfect. perfect. And I certainly hope Luke Fickle stays. But it is absolutely perfect. And it even will probably have Tony Pike venting frustration into a microphone the same way it did 10 years ago, which is even better, which I no appreciate. Doubt. No doubt. All right, Mo, thanks for your time. Okay, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Mo. All right. Always good to catch up with Mo. And uh, you never know where it's going to go, Jay. <laughs> never do. You never do. That's the best part. <laughs> I can never quite predict the winding road. I just know that at some point it'll end. Some, you never know, but at some point it will end. Um 
It's always great to catch up with Mo. Uh, I will be on with Mo tonight at 8 o'clock, so Tuesday night at 8 o'clock on 700 WLWs in for Lance. Uh, so if, you wanna, if you're listening to this now and you just can't get enough, uh, check in there. Um, Growler bet from Sunday was what will be the longest Joe Burrow completion of the game and to whom? Uh, the answer ended up being it was the T. Higgins touchdown pass for 32 yards. T. Higgins, by the way, six receptions, all for at least 15 plus yards. Jay, what was your uh, what was your Jay's got stats on that? You Devon, only Devonte Adams had more this year, right? You had it in uh, in final thoughts. Yeah, Devonte Adams had a game where he had seven receptions of 15 yards or more. Um, Bengals that may remember that game. That was the game <laughs> against the Bengals. Uh, Jamar Chase, by the way, had a game where he had five. He had five catches of 15 yards or more. That was the, the game in, in Baltimore. Um, but, yeah, so pretty impressive for T. Higgins to have six 15-yard receptions. And Joe Burrow having a uh, a game where he had some one this guy for six, another one for five. That is a Joe Burrow will do what he says, which is take whatever the defense is giving him, and he'll take whatever matchup he thinks is the most beneficial. And uh, it's the advantage of having all these weapons out there right now. Um so it was Higgins 32. I want to, before I get into if there was a winner or not, I would like to shout out Justin Garten. Shout out Justin, who had a guess of Drew Sample for 43. <laughs> with my favorite, one of my favorite guesses of the year. And I wanted, I've never wanted anything more. I've never, I would have, I would have given up so much. I, I would have gone down to 50 West and just bought out a, a whole rack of the cooler. If your sample would have been the winner for 43. Great guess. Appreciated it. Unfortunately, you get nothing other than the credit uh, for creativity here on the pod. Uh, Brian Specht, T. Higgins for 29. Mm. So close. So close, Brian. But yet, you get nothing. Uh, excellent guess. Uh, Jay, you have done a spreadsheet. Again. Well, first of all, I have a I have a question about the growler bet on how to score it. Sure. Well, well first, well, I want to go back. Drew Sample had forty eight yards receiving all year coming into that game, so that forty three <laughs> was just a great guess. But I guess it would be how how do, who won that between you and I? Because you said C.J. Uzama for thirty two. I said T. Higgins for forty four. So you were closer on the number, but I got the player right. Do we just call that a draw? I said 32 is the number. You said 37 for oh, 37. Uzama. I, I think you get it with the Higgins. Okay. I think you get it. I think that's a closer. It wasn't. It was never really, I don't think, about. It was partially about the number, but I think it was harder. It, it was harder to nail the person. So I'll give you. I'll give it. I'll give you the win. I will concede it. I will wave the white okay. flag just as Mike Tomlin did. All right. Well, we are five and five then. We are tied five to five. Ah, maybe I shouldn't have. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, spreadsheet. What do you got for me? What did you? What did? What did you, you breaking it down? Because I don't know the answer to this yet. You've done this in secret. Yeah, I, I posed the question last week. I needed to go back and like track all of our predictions, and um, it's interesting that Paul, you are seven and four on your predictions and I am seven and four on my predictions and the, and the Bengals, Bengals are, are seven, seven and four. four. Now <laughs> the, the the unique thing here is if had you been right on every single one of your picks, 
the Bengals would be nine and two right now. And if I had been correct on every one of my picks, the Bengals would be seven and four right now. So you, the only the only two games that you didn't pick the Bengals were the first Steelers game and the Packers game. I am way too optimistic this year, Jay. <laughs> Sounds there like is, it. There is no doubt. And I'm going to be picking them to win this weekend, too. I'll go ahead and spoiler alert that. Yeah, I will do. Uh, but so I don't like that. Uh, that Don't worry. I, I My gut says that will change. Uh, in in a couple of future weeks, but um, how about that? I feel exposed. My going back and listening to our predictions and tracking this, my favorite thing was I picked the Bengals to win thirty one to twenty against the Jets, and you roasted me saying that there's no way the Jets are going to score twenty points. And <laughs> you, I have a couple quotes from you. There is a potential Mike White throws for forty two yards. <laughs> And I'm I'm thinking we're going to see some real poor Mike White. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I was not the only person in the country no, that thought that Mike White <laughs> was not going to be the answer for the Jets, and it turns out he wasn't. He just was on yep. that day. That that every year there are some stunning results for everybody, and uh, that is the, the Mike White week. That was is certainly going to be one on this year's schedule. I'll, I'll take the I'll take the big L on that one. That that's fine. I can I can carry that. Um, we will of course be back on Thursday with a much deeper look uh, at the LA Chargers, who are a very interesting team. Uh, Justin Herbert, they've got a bunch of issues in the interior of their offensive line with injuries. Their defense has been bad, specifically against the run, but Burrow. Versus Herbert is a super fun matchup that probably belongs in prime time, but we've already had that conversation. <laughs> Instead, it will be a nice little one o'clocker on Sunday. So uh, I'm excited about that. And uh, there's going to be a lot to talk about. It's a fun matchup to talk about, and one that has a whole lot of influence to how the AFC breaks down with the Chargers uh, right there, one game behind the Bengals in the playoff picture. So, um, a lot to get to then. It should be a fun episode on Thursday. We'll have some stuff to react to from our media availability on Wednesday with Joe Burrow and Zach Taylor and others. So, lots to catch up to then. Until then, hope everybody has a good week, and we'll talk to you later. Have a good one, everybody. Hey, football fans, this is Diana Rossini from The Athletic. Get the top stories in pro football snapped directly to your inbox with our latest NFL newsletter, Scoop City. Jacob Robinson and I will bring you the daily scoop of top NFL articles, posts, and podcasts every Monday to Friday. Sign up for free now at theathletic.com backslash scoop.